but the both teams have gone back to the locker room. Utah's no longer on the floor. The Thunder are no longer on its bench. The officials have gone back to the locker room. The fans here in the arena don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on. And so as soon as we get any kind of information, we will certainly pass it along. Unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. And take your time in leaving the arena tonight and do so in an orderly fashion. Thank you for coming out tonight. We are all safe. And you can visit OKCThunder.com for updates on upcoming games. Gobert has tested positive for the coronavirus uh, that was learned in Oklahoma City prior to that game between the Jazz and the Thunder. Right now, the Thunder and Jazz, I'm told, are both quarantined in that arena. And the NBA has made the decision, they have just announced, that they are suspending play. Finishing after tonight's games, they're going to let tonight's games finish. But starting tomorrow, NBA play is suspended. And then the league is going to use that hiatus to decide their next steps, how they'll go forward. But this is the last night of NBA games for the foreseeable future. NBA's Board of Governors just a short while ago approving the league's return to play plan in a 29 to 1 vote. 22 of the NBA's 30 teams will go to Orlando, Florida to resume the season with games starting in late July. Here in this NBA season, the respect from those two, and that's it, it's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Commissioner Adam Silver says he is confident the association can get through the shortened 72-game season with its planned health and safety protocols despite the surge in coronavirus cases. The Thunder game in Houston has been officially postponed after a day of COVID-19 complications and developments surrounding several of Houston's players. Three players have tested positive or returned inconclusive tests after a day of contact tracing stemming from rookie Kenyon Martin Jr. testing positive. Martin was with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and other players last night getting haircuts at another teammate's apartment. Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider. And as you guys could tell from the intro, history has repeated itself again. I will be going over Wednesday's postponed opener between the Thunder and the Rockets why this postponement shows the harsh reality of the bubble season we are going to be facing and what is next for the Thunder. So, just breaking down Wednesday's postponement, giving you guys the timeline, the events that led up to this decision to postpone the matchup. Here's what happened. Pretty much... For NBA games, you are required to have at least eight active players on a roster. And there's these weird times like you've seen in previous games where like I think the Warriors, um, like at least 10 years ago, it may have been the end of Steph Curry's rookie season. They played the Blazers with like five players and they may have even came back and won. I think there was a lot of 
crazy injuries and stuff. Someone might have fouled out, but they just didn't have enough players. Entering the game, they were required to have eight people active. And for the Rockets, they had to have eight people active for this game. And entering Wednesday, it seemed like this game was going to happen without a doubt. The Houston Rockets were missing five players going into Wednesday. So we knew Ben McElmore was gone. He tested positive for COVID a little bit ago. So we ruled him out. Chris Clemens, he tore his Achilles in one of the preseason games. He was also out. Kenyon Martin Jr. tested positive for coronavirus. And due to tracing, it linked back to DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall. Why those two? Because those three, Martin, Cousins, and Wall, they all hung out together in days leading up to this. They all were in the in an apartment together. I believe they were getting a haircut of some sorts. So those five were gone. It's cool. They had 10 players, and they only needed eight for the NBA game to happen. And on our side, we only had Teo Maladon and Ty Jerome gone. So we were set. It was not an issue for us. Maladon had personal reasons he was out. And then Jerome, he's been dealing with, I believe, a sprained ankle of some sorts. I don't want to mess that up. But I believe that is what he was facing. Now, keep in mind, like I said, you need eight players. They got ten. Wednesday morning hits. And really, it was more it was more close to like lunchtime when news was coming out. But Jashawn Tate, small forward, power forward for them. He was sent home due to contact tracing. I believe he was in contact with Martin Cousins and Wall that same evening. That marks it down to nine players. And to make it eight players, two-way player Mason Jones was also looked back at for tracing. And the NBA never made an official ruling on it. But I think it's pretty clear to suspect he was told he also need to stay home. Even with those two guys, they could have played. That's eight players. But here's where the real kicker comes in. The player that pushed the Rockets over the edge was James Harden. And I did a whole segment in yesterday's podcast. I made a whole segment about just what's been going on with him. And really, the funny part is, is that whole podcast is really just outdated because the game never happened. I don't remember how long the podcast was, but I don't think it was that long. I may just end up removing it because there's a lot like... Really, that none of that stuff has any value to it, except for the James Harden story. And if you listened to the podcast yesterday, I apologize. This will be some of the same news, but I still feel like I need to go over this. James Harden going into Wednesday morning was investigated by not only the NBA, but also the Houston Rockets, because there was a video that surfaced of him at some sort of party. We don't know if it was in a club. We don't know the location, but we know he was at some sort of party. And one of the specific rules the NBA has NBA has made in their COVID-19 guidelines, all the people related to like organizations get this. So coaches, staff, players, they all get the same handbook. And one of the things is you cannot be in gatherings of 15 or more people. 
And it doesn't matter if you're at the club. It doesn't matter if you're at the restaurant, wherever it is. You can't be with more than 15 people in a public gathering. James Harden clearly broke that rule. So what ends up happening is when you break one of those violations, you're subject to punishments such as suspensions, fines. I think if it gets crazy out of hand, like the whole team and it's preventable, like loss of draft picks and stuff like that. For Harden, this was not the first time that he has broken a violation. He broke a violation just a week ago when the training camps were beginning. He was at Little Baby's birthday party as well as a couple of Las Vegas clubs when he should have been in Houston with the team at training camp. So the NBA must have had some sort of talk with him to get him down to Houston. And then he ends up going to a party once he gets in Houston. So this is two times in the span of two or three weeks he has broken these COVID-19 guidelines. And this is some this is some serious stuff. People were wondering what exactly the punishment would be. And we didn't know how thin their roster would be and that he would ultimately push them below the eight-player minimum. But a lot of people thought he should have been suspended. He was not suspended, you guys. He was given a $50,000 fine. And for James Harden, $50,000 really should not matter that much. Um, Like, he's making millions of dollars. 50 k for what he did, uh, it's really not that bad. And it's a, he, he did it twice. The first time, it may have just been some sort of warning. 50 k for Harden. Sorry, it's a bit of a slap on a wrist. And it's going to set a precedent for some of these other guys that if you do it twice, it's only a 50 k fine. And with a dude like Harden being such a big name, it's only a 50 k fine. He wasn't even suspended for this game um and i mean the game never ended up happening so that that's why but in it wasn't like he was given a one game suspension plus 50k fine it was you're fine 50k and you have to stay quarantined until friday so christmas day that's his last day of quarantine he's good to go by the first preseason game which that that's kind of that's a good deal for harden um just want to talk about like if I thought this game should have been suspended um or yeah yeah I think uh if like this game should have just been suspended based off of everything going on I think that with seven people off the roster it does make sense and should it have been like a forfeit of some sorts I don't know. I saw online that people were thinking, yeah, this game should be forfeited. It should go to the Thunder because of what Harden did, and he pushed them over the edge. But you can't just do that because that's one player out of their whole entire roster. These other guys seem to be, for the most part, following guidelines. The Cousins, Wall, Kenyon Martin Jr. situation seems like they all were to like in a gathering of less than 15 that I don't believe that broke any guidelines. They totally must have investigated them because it cost three players and then maybe even more with Tate and Mason Jones potentially being involved. So I think they were in the clear on that. It's a really sucky situation, and 
if they only have seven people on the roster that can play, obviously you're not going to play. But I don't know. The Thunder stayed in check. They only had two guys out, and neither were for illnesses. For the Rockets, this is the season opener, and they can't even start it off strong. I don't know. I think they get a pass because really what it came down to was Harden's actions. And Harden's actions, what he did, that should not be affecting the team. So I think the NBA did make the right call not forfeiting the game and just giving us a free win. Um, Rescheduling will be interesting, but I'll go into that in a bit. I think what should happen, though, if this game does get rescheduled, whenever that is, Harden should not be eligible for this game. And I know the punishment has already been struck down on him. It's only a 50K fine. But the game would have happened if he was like, if he wasn't at this party, this game would have happened. There would have been eight players for the Rockets. They could have suited up and they had a good shot to win this game. I mean, they have, they had Eric Gordon who was available. They had Harden who would have been available. PJ Tucker was available. I think Daniel House is. And Christian Wood. That's a really good starting five. And Eric Gordon is sneaky good still. Harden's already a top top 10, top 5 player in the NBA. Christian Wood's super underrated. So they would have had a real shot at this game, even if they did have an 8-man rotation. They're a little bit thin on the bench in terms of who was left. But I don't know. I think it still would have been a pretty entertaining game. It never happened, though. Um, So really can't even go in that situation. I just think if it does get replayed, Harden should not be eligible because the actions he made led to him, you know, being quarantined until Friday. And if this game were to happen, if there was an extra one or two Rockets players, this game would have gone on and Harden would have been ineligible. So I think that should carry over. Now, I, I think there were brief discussions about this in the bubble. Like, what about players like Yusuf Nurkic, who were injured most of last season, but then were able to play in the bubble? Like, how should that carry over? And does this apply, apply here? I don't know. I think it's a bit different because I think an injury and going to a party and breaking guidelines are two separate things. I think a punishment like being suspended just for this game is not that hard, and it kind of sets the message. I think the NBA might have been a little bit too light with that 50K, but I don't know, y'all. Maybe that is just me, but I just want to talk about how and why this postponement shows the harsh reality of what a bubbleless NBA looks like. And just looking back on last year, we were so lucky having the bubble because the season would have been completely different. If we would have had arenas all over the place, everyone would have got COVID and the playoffs would not have been as good as it was. I don't remember exactly how many people had COVID, but I think after like the first couple weeks, there was not any COVID going around the players. I think it was good for the most part and everybody was active unless it was for injuries. So it was a home run there. Obviously having people being restricted to a hotel room in like Disneyland for, I don't know. I think they might've been there for three months, like for people who went the whole way. I I don't know if the players would be up to doing that for a full season again, being away from everything. So they had to really move on from there and have it as 
open where you know we're going to different arenas and such maybe in the maybe in the playoffs they revert back to the bubble i mean it worked get a little break in try it again i don't know but as of now it's not it's not what's going on there's there's no bubble but anyways uh, just looking at other sports, um, yeah, other leagues with no bubble this year, college football has had 139 games canceled or postponed this season. And I don't even know if these if this statistic includes some of these bowl games because I know some bowl games ended up getting canceled. In the NFL, 18 games have been postponed. That was from weeks 1 through 13. And then the MLB. They had to shrink their season from 162 games down to 60. And in those 60 games apiece, 43 games were postponed. In 43 games, that was in a span of two months. 43 games were postponed. So the NBA will be facing these exact same issues. And, I mean, as I said earlier, we couldn't even make it one game into the regular season. And we're still having these issues. So this is the new normal for the NBA. There's going to be a lot of postponed games and maybe even canceled. So the questions that I kind of have about postponing games, what point will the NBA decide to postpone a game? We know that, you know, with the Rockets, there was that eight player thing and that's, that's a straight up rule. But what about these other things? Will the NBA postpone and cancel games on a case-by-case basis, or is it going to be equal treatment all around? Like I said, the example that I put for like equal treatment, it's a straight-up rule. You have to have eight active players. The Rockets could not fetch together eight players. That's why the game got postponed. Um, will the verdict be every single time, if you have eight active players, you're going to be playing today? There's like... The question that I really have is if the Lakers are without LeBron and AD, just hypothetically, let's say tomorrow they have a Christmas game against the Dallas Mavericks. It's like 7 p.m. Central, probably the highlight game of Christmas. It's on ABC. If out of nowhere LeBron and AD are out, are they still going to play that game? Because that's going to completely wreck the, the ratings. And hey, let's say Luke is out of that game too. Your three headline guys are gone, and that's your primetime game. Do you continue to play it, or would you postpone it just based off of only three dudes? Your three main dudes are gone. You're losing a lot of money. Do you want to postpone that to, like, Christmas Eve or January 1st? And the question is, if you were to do that, I think both teams are open on New Year's Eve but they play on the 30th and on New Year's. So you really can't have a three games in a row, at least in this, in the NBA we're in right now with the pandemic going on. I don't think three days in a row is a smart idea. So you could still fetch a good amount of views if you spot, if you put, you know, Lakers, Mavs together and you, you can come up with the, oh, well, they're going to have to be quarantined maybe through that date. And you're right. But just in a hypothetical would they move that game back in order to profit more? And that's going to be a reoccurring theme with a lot of these primetime, like Lakers, uh, Bucks with Giannis, all these guys. There's a lot of big names. 
who are going to see a lot of ESPN stuff, ABC stuff. And if they're gone, they're going to have to look towards other options. And if they want to reschedule it, how are they going to reschedule it? How are they going to restructure the game surrounding it? Do they move those around? Do they scrap those in order to get the more marketable games? I don't know. And just an example that I wanted to use, the Ravens-Steelers game for Thanksgiving was postponed not once, but twice. All because of one player. Lamar Lamar Jackson was out for the game on Thanksgiving. So they say, oh, we're going to move it back. He's still not available. They move it back again. I think they ended up playing it on a Tuesday or something. And I don't even remember if Lamar Jackson played that game. So they did that. Fans were pretty furious, and the intentions on why they did it is pretty transparent why the NFL would do something like that. Lamar Jackson, one of the biggest names in the NFL right now, Thanksgiving against the Steelers, who were undefeated at the time, that's giving you a lot of money. And without Lamar Jackson, it really loses a lot of the glamour to it. So that's why they had to move it back a couple times. And there's a chance that the NBA could follow suit and reschedule some of these smaller matchups for others or they could just cancel the other ones now just just the thing that i was thinking is like rescheduling is really difficult with nba having 72 games the season's still pretty short and it's all rapid fire it's not like the nfl where you got a week in advance to schedule games around and you can make it work because you can have like four or five day breaks in between if you decide to reschedule with the NBA you got to play like every every two days you're playing three to four times a week so rescheduling stuff and canceling stuff is going to be very difficult especially when you're trying to reschedule some of these games like will the Houston OKC game even get rescheduled in the next month I don't know unless there's like a two a two-day gap for both teams in that span, I don't see it happening. And with the Thunder being such a small market team, does the NBA really care? I don't know. Um, I think the the thing that the NBA they've been they've been thinking about this. And I think an alternative they have to just rearranging these marketable games is if the big time names are gone, you're just gonna switch channels. Um, they're gonna get the biggest games they can as possible. If the Denver Nuggets have zero injuries uh, and they're playing the same day as a Lakers team with no LeBron or AD, they'll probably move the Denver Nuggets game up to ESPN because, I mean, they have their full team and that might be a better game than, you know, LeBron and AD gone. I mean, there's such a big fan base with LA. Maybe not. Maybe that's not the best comparison. You could throw in like the Bucks instead of that. Bucks without Giannis. I think they'd, they'd try to reschedule the the TV lineups. And I think that's something they will look towards and something that they may have to do when some of these big guys like James Harden get quarantined and they have to find other solutions. You could see a lot of rescheduled NBA games. Now, um, I think us being Thunder fans, we really will never be in jeopardy of of us being postponed unless it's for another team or we just don't have half our team. I don't think we have the luxury of SGA's gone, so you know, we need to reschedule this for another time. 
the NBA doesn't care. We're on Fox. We're on Fox Sports Oklahoma the whole season. We're not. We're not on with all the ESPN dudes, the TNT guys. We're not going to have that luxury. So unless half our team's gone, expect us to be playing. And maybe some of you guys think that's a good thing. That's more Thunder basketball. So, hey, I guess that is the one positive you can take out of this is even though some teams may have luxuries of if their star guys are are out, they they might be able to move stuff around with us. You know, we're gonna be seeing we're gonna be seeing games every single every single time uh, if we got people out or not. So, yeah, as long as it's just unless it's an unbelievable amount of people, we're gonna be playing. Now, just one thing that I kind of thought of was with all these people being quarantined, the standings will be just all over the place and tanking really might be harder than the usual season. Number one, we're playing 72 games, so wins mean a lot more. There's not more margin for error for teams. You've got to be on your A game if you're making the playoffs. A loss... I don't want to say a loss means more this year, but I guess technically, mathematically, it does. Since you got less games, that's more percentage of the season. But whatever. I think uh, with it being shorter, it will pose some interesting scenarios by the end of the year. And with teams with quarantine issues or just players in and out of the roster, it's not just going to be you know, the four obvious tanking teams going for the bottom three. And the four obvious tanking teams right now are the Thunder, the Knicks, the Pistons, and the Cavs. I think there could be a couple of surprise teams. And the ones that I was etching up, I think first off is the Charlotte Hornets. And then there's some dark horses, which on the surface, you may be like, oh, there's no way. But I think there's a chance. San Antonio... And maybe even the Kings could slide down. And if they're in a situation where they're only a couple games back with a month left, they're only a couple games back from the bottom three, they may say, you know what? Let's go for some lottery odds. We're out of the playoffs already. 2021 draft class looks to be stacked. Try to get a couple more ping pong balls our way. We'll tank the, the the final month. And I think the fight will be really, really difficult and down on the wire for those bottom three. Now, like I said, Charlotte was the main target for me. I think if Gordon Hayward is out, they have a major hole at small forward. I forgot who exactly patches it up in the depth chart. I think it's Miles Bridges, but he's really more of like a three and a four. And behind that, you have the Martin Twins and Jaden McDaniels, who really have never had any NBA experience before. Not to not to much of a degree. So they're completely out of there. And their only real threat right now is their guards. They have a three-guard lineup. Graham, Rogier, and Ball. They'd have to push them over the top and play spectacular. I think Rogier dropped 42 points in the opener. And they still lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And they had all these guys healthy. So just picture Gordon Hayward gone. Rozier's going to have to drop 80 points if they want a chance in this game, in any game. So I don't know. I could see them slipping big time if Hayward's having issues because they really can't patch up that small forward, and they really are only stacked up at the guard positions. Now, for the Spurs, they looked pretty bad in the preseason. I think they went 0-3. I know they lost to us, but... If Aldridge is out for a while, 
I'm not so confident in their backup bigs. I think they have a lot of depth at the point guard and forward positions, but at center, I don't really see it. And the dudes that I think of, Rudy Gay, he's more of a traditional power forward, small forward. He's morphed into a power forward these past couple years, so he really can't play much center. Jakob Portal, he was not good in preseason versus us, so I just don't trust him that much. And then Trey Lyles, who I do like a bit more, but he's nowhere near LaMarcus Aldridge. And being in the West, if you're really trying to contend and win all these games, you need to have a strong center. I think it could lead a bit to their downfall. I don't know how much they'd slide, and that's why I have them as a dark horse, but I think you should keep tabs on them. Now, the last team, the Sacramento Kings, they are set at the bigs. They are set at power forward and center. They have Nemanja, Bajalika, Rashawn Holmes, Jabari Parker, Marvin Bagley, who still really hasn't broken out yet, uh, number two pick from a couple years ago, and Hassan Whiteside. They just got him back. So out of those five, they only have one real shooter, and it's Nemanja, yeah, it's Nemanja Bajalika. So I think he shot like 42% from three. Not positive. But yeah, he's the only one who can shoot. So they have shooting issues from the four and five positions. And at the point guard through small forward spots, their starters are gold. They have De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, and Harrison Barnes. There's no issue there. I'm cool with all three of them. But they really don't have many backups in those positions. They have a lot of depth at the bigs. Not at the guards in the small forward. They have Tyrese Halliburton. I like him, but besides Tyrese Halliburton, you have people like Kyle Guy and Daquan Jeffries at shooting guard. And I think the only small forward outside of Harrison Barnes on their team right now is Glenn Robinson. So a hit to Fox, Heald, or Barnes will be a major, major setback to them. And they need a real leader who can create plays for themselves because these bigs that they do have, they can't stretch the floor and they kind of need help from others to create their own shots. Tyrese Halliburton is good off the bench. I mean, he's a playmaker. He's a do-it-all guy out of Iowa State. I think the GMs rated him the biggest draft steal. I think the, I think the Kings had like the 13th pick. So they snagged him. A lot of people thought he was a top 10 lock. Slid down there. So they like, I like him. I think maybe he possesses some playmaking, not to the degree of Fox, and he's not the leader Fox is right now. But it, it's a major downgrade, and it could result in a huge slip because Halliburton, Heald, and Barnes, the, I mean, it's not terrible. And then at power forward and center, it's likely going to be Rashawn Holmes, or Marvin Bagley and Whiteside. So it's not that great for the West. If you take out a second one of those dudes, a Heald or a Barnes, with at least at point guard, there is a bit of depth. At shooting guard and small forward, zero depth at all. You're going to be having really dudes who haven't played much in the NBA. Kyle Guy has not played much in the NBA, and Daquan Jeffries has not played a lot in the NBA. Glenn Robinson has, but... He's really just he's really just meant for backup minutes. I don't see him playing 30-plus a night. So they may have some depth issues if one of their point guards through small forwards has an injury. And I think, keep it in mind, I think there will be one or two surprise teams, so that's going to leave a five-team race 
for, or no, yeah, a five or six team race for the bottom three picks. And it's going to be absolute mayhem entering the last month of the year. And for the Thunder, there might be some unexpected wins that we end up picking up because teams don't have certain players on their roster. Without the stars on their team and we're all healthy, I could totally see us stealing a couple games that people don't expect us having a chance at. So we may even push ourselves out of that conversation of bottom three. Some of these other teams, the Knicks, the Pistons, the Cavs, they may also push themselves out. So it's so unpredictable right now. But that's really really just some long-term stuff. I want to go short-term. Just in what's next for the Thunder. Our next game is going to be against the Charlotte Hornets. We're going to Charlotte. We're facing them on the 26th. So we really don't have to wait that long. I was under the impression we'd be waiting like an extra five days to play. No, we're good. We only got to wait till the 26th. The tip-off is at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. As of now, we only have three guys not with us. It's subject, subject to change. Teo Maladon's gone for personal reasons. He has an excused absence from Mark Dagnall. We really don't know why he's gone right now, but yeah, he's not with us. Ty Jerome has a left ankle sprain. And then Darius Miller, he's been recovering from an Achilles injury from last year, and he was active on the roster last game. But we are still not sure exactly if he'll be getting minutes. So he's kind of questionable. He's a game-time decision for the game on the 26th. Now, just some fun thing. I really love playing the Hornets. Uh, A lot of fans were wondering and wishing that the Thunder would trade some of those, you know, highly coveted draft picks of ours to maybe like the Warriors and snag LaMelo Ball at two or the Hornets at three. We didn't end up doing that. Presti held off on it. So far, Ball has not been that impressive in his games. I think he shot 0 for 5 in the day in his debut game. But uh, it, it's a brand new game. I mean, SGA versus Ball will be nice, and we will see what we missed out on by passing on him and not trading up. A player to watch for the Hornets, it's got to be Terry Rozier. And I brought him up earlier. He dropped 42 points, 3 rebounds, and 2 assists on 15 of 23 shooting. In the preseason, he averaged 17 points in 25 minutes. But, you know, he showed consistency in the preseason. Absolutely went off in the opener with 42 Could he still have the hot hand and drop 30-plus, 40-plus? I don't know. We may see a Terry Rozier where he's dropping 10 points or one where he's dropping 50. So you just need to keep an eye on him and see if he goes off once again. The key matchup for us, it's SGA and LaMelo. And I'm really anxious to see how SGA plays as the lead man. And I can't think of anyone better for it to be than LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball has so much hype surrounding him right now. I think he's a good test for SGA. Ball just came into the league. I think it's a good tune-up for Gilgis Alexander just to work on his game. Ball has not been playing that well, and I think SGA should be able to exploit him. Now, we still have to counter in 
they do have Devontae Graham, and they still have Rogier. So, so there will be some guards, three guards really rotating around him. But I think SGA versus LaMelo, that's got to be the fun one. LaMelo Ball has been so hyped up. Just seeing him against who we believe our cornerstone player is will be super fun to watch. And just another sneaky one, it's got to be Baisley versus P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington's only six foot seven. Um, I believe he's 236 pounds as well. The frame frame wise, Baisley, uh, I think Baisley's taller, but Washington's a bit bigger when it comes to weight. Washington's more like bulky, like body wise. And as we've seen, Baisley's more thin. Baisley is way more athletic than him. Uh, I think it's gonna be a good test because Washington's not your typical six foot ten, six foot foot eleven power forward. He's 6'7", but he still possesses the strength of your average 6'10 power forward. You know what I'm saying? So it's a good test for Baisley as well against Washington. And SGA has that good test with Ball, Rogier, and Devontae Graham. So just make sure to stay tuned on those two matchups. I'm really in love with that. I cannot wait to see those two. But other than that, guys, that's really all that's been going on these past couple days. I'll make sure to keep you all updated. Other than that, I got nothing. I will talk to you guys later, and thank you for listening to the podcast. See ya.